from beyond the Beltway. This is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics with occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speedy Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Alexandra Eidenberg of Vote Mama, Illinois. Human events, Brent Hamachek. Conservative leader in Illinois, Jeannie I. And Charles Lipson from the University of Chicago. Our phone line's open. Welcome, everybody. Our phone line's open at 1-800-723-8289. That's 1-800-723-8289. We're coming to you from our home base, which is the beautiful studios of WCGO at Scab Radio Network in the beautiful city of Evanston, Illinois. 1-800-723-8289. And uh, we're going to spend the next couple of hours, and I hope we engage those out in, in radio and, and TV land today, or uh, Internet land. And that is, I, I, I'm very interested in knowing the level of patience that the American voter has over the recent stories that are, I think, very scary. Uh, and, and these are the cyber attacks, the cyber attacks on, on the oil uh, reserves uh, in, uh, in in New England and then also recently uh, with the food supply, the beef supply uh, throughout much of the United States. And uh, the president is going to go visit with Vladimir Putin uh, in a couple of weeks. <clears throat> They're allegedly, according to Jen Psaki, there's going to be uh, some sort of a, a verbal, uh, I guess, showdown between the two. And uh, the president is going to try to get the attention of Vladimir Putin uh, to call off his dogs uh, in, the, in in Russia uh, who are independently, allegedly, involved in some of these uh, ransomware attacks and cyber attacks on the United States. The FBI is investigating over 100 cases of, of ransomware and, and cyber attacks in the United States. Christopher Ray last week uh, said in an article that uh, he feels that the situation in dealing with cybersecurity is is up there at the level of 9-11 and, 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 a, and a broader definition of terrorism. So I, I really want to get everyone's reaction as to what we really can do about that. And uh, I want to begin with Brett Hamachek. Brett Hamachek uh, joins us in studio. He's with Human Events, a uh, longtime conservative activist. So, uh, Brent, let me start with you, and then we're going to hear from the rest of our guests. Well, in terms of the cyber attacks, uh, look, uh, I don't know. At some point in time, you have to say to yourself, what were we expecting? As far back as the Internet goes, we've been worried about this happening. And then when it begins to happen successfully, and, of course, the, the technology piece is beyond my understanding. I'm not a technology person. But you do have to sit back and you, you have to wonder as a lay person, an intelligent lay person, what have we been doing? How is it that something that we've been hearing about for 30 years that could happen is happening and we seem to be on our heels and ill-prepared? And it really does call into question, you know, on the most basic level, what exactly has our FBI and our other agencies been up to? We've certainly seen enough public evidence of some things they've been up to over the mm-hmm. last few years that don't seem to be terribly productive uh, or have much to do with real law enforcement. It feels like they've dropped the ball. I'm not informed enough to say it, but it feels that way. All right. Let's go to uh, Alexandra Eidenberg. She is one of our card-carrying Democrats this evening. Alexandra, uh, your reaction to what Brent has to say, do you agree with much of what he has to say, or is there a big difference there? 
You know, uh, for those of you that don't know, I own an insurance agency and cyber insurance is the big thing right now. I think we've been scared of this attack forever. And Mm -hmm. if it's on agriculture, what it might be on. I think when we mess with things that affect the lives of everyday people and food obviously affects that. We saw what the pandemic did to food and food scarcity. This would be an even larger scarcity. I think that there needs to be attention to cyber attacks. This particular angle, I don't think anyone saw it coming, but I think that we're living in what I call the forever 2020. None of us really imagined anything that we're going through. Um, I remember being um, a child babysitting in 1999 and it coming into 2000 and being really scared of like everything coming to the end when 2000 rolled around and Mm -hmm. the cyber attack then. Um, Fast forward 21 years and it seems like maybe we need to check some additional boxes and Mm -hmm. make sure things are safer. But I think we all know that the world of cyber and online um, creates problems and we need to fill those holes. Okay. I want to go to Jeannie Ives. She's our card-gearing Republican tonight. And Jeannie, uh, would you, uh, your comment thus far, and also would you agree with what Brent had to say, and that is uh, perhaps uh, uh, the government, whether it's uh, Republicans or Democrats, they probably have dropped the ball significantly over the last 20 years on this I subject. I 100% agree with that. <clears throat> but listen, when Biden's talking about spending money on infrastructure, he is not talking about strengthening our cybersecurity and strengthening our electrical grid against these types of attacks, which would be a responsible way to use infrastructure money. You don't hear any of that. Instead, you hear massive expenditures for things that are not necessary and not necessarily infrastructure. Are we hearing that from the Democrat? Are we hearing that from the Republicans as well? I mean, as part of their their de- as part of their definition. I've been talking about Bruce. I've been talking about cybersecurity and strengthening it for at least five years now. Uh-huh. Five years because I've been following this. Now, two more things. One, the Colonial Pipeline thing, shame on the Colonial Pipeline company for having that vulnerability out there. There, I've talked to one of the most prominent businessmen, you know, worldwide CEO of the second largest French company, by the way, mm-hmm. uh, deals in this type of energy systems. And he says they don't put anything online, nothing, and that they have redundancy as well. So that was a problem with that business unit, and businesses need to spend the dollars to secure this stuff. And number three, we're talking about all of this stuff getting hacked, but we won't talk about the election having any problems, mm-hmm. okay. possible let's, issues. Let's, let's, I mean, that is okay. a problem with me. Okay. Let's talk about all of it. All right, let's, come, let's go over to Charles Lipson from the University of Chicago, who's always got to sage advice uh, <laughs> to offer. Um uh, do you agree that this uh, that this is a huge issue for the country at the moment and that perhaps it's been underplayed uh, by both parties for the last several years? I think it is a huge issue. I think it's been underplayed. I'm not blaming the FBI or the CIA or NSA at this point. It's hard to know what they're doing uh, behind the scenes. Let me make two or three quick points. One is... Uh, the reason that the modern world is so rich is that it depends on production, not predation. And all of what you see with these cyber blackmail things is predation. So it's not surprising it comes out of Russia. That's It's all built. That's a, a whole country built on predation. Mm-hmm. Second thing is we don't have deterrence. You don't just need to have hardened defenses. You need to make it really painful for somebody who does this. 
And I think the third thing is that it's really hard for us to deal with it because these are private companies and there's a limit to what the government can and should do in terms of intervening within a private organization. If they came to Alexandra and said, we want to harden up your um your online presence, which, by the way, my son heads uh, the technology Mm. for an online company. He says that they are attacked hundreds of times, often Mm -hmm. hundreds of times a day. But if they came to you, Alexandra, you would have to wonder if they were going to get all of the information about all of your clients. And that you would have to reassure your clients. It's a big problem. We've got to pause. 1-800-723-8029 from coast to coast and border to border tonight. From beautiful Evanston, Illinois, I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. Wish you were here. Words we've often seen on postcards and letters from friends and family. Luckily, there's an entire state that whispers, wish you were here. Climbing my dunes, sailing on my breezes, walking along my beaches, and getting lost and found in my forests. This is a postcard from Michigan, where wishing you were here is the heart of pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. Dallas, St. Louis, Nashville, Tuscaloosa. All major cities to feel the destruction caused by a direct hit from a tornado. Is Chicago next? It's not a question of if, but when, and the clock is ticking. Learn what to do now at ready.illinois.gov to become Tornado Ready. back on Beyond the Beltway. Thank you very much uh, for uh, joining us. I want to go back and, and, and begin the discussion of, of, of what we can do next, but I, I do want to ask uh, Charles a question. Charles, is it possible that over the last umpteen years, let's say 15, 20 years, uh, that the United States has been engaged in some activities like this against our enemies that we as the American people don't know about? But again, uh, what we're hearing now may be a retaliation against something we have done. Any any possibility of that being a, a, a fact of life here? Turn your my microphone on, uh, Charles. My mic is on. Okay, go ahead. We can now hear you. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, I think we do a lot of spying. I don't think we do any blackmail. Uh, I mean, I could be wrong on that, but if we're not uh, spying on uh, our enemies and perhaps some of our friends, then what are we paying taxes for? So, yeah, but I I do think there is some deterrence. We could turn off the lights, I'm sure, in Moscow, and they could probably turn them off in Washington, D.C., and they're not doing that. But, uh, and we haven't seen things like uh, floods from dams. And I feel sure we could do those kinds of things. Now we have ethical reasons why we wouldn't want to do it, but yeah, I think we're listening to everything we can and we should. Do we have those capabilities, uh, Jeannie? And, and should we be, uh, should we be considering 
using them. Obviously, we're not admitting that we've done it in the past, but, I mean, what should be on the table when it, when it comes to responding to whether it's Russia or China or, or uh, even uh, North Korea to things that they may be doing? Well, I think there's uh, much more assurance that if it is, if we link it to Ch- the Chinese Communist Party or we link it to North Korea, that that is a state-sponsored event. Um, while Putin has complete control, he definitely has a lot of folks that work outside of his control as well from Russia, from a Russian standpoint. But we should extract some measure of, of discipline from Putin to clean up his own people and, and go after them. There's no doubt about that. And you that. don't question the ability of him to do it. You don't question, you do not question no, the ability of him to do it. I think he can do it. I absolutely do think that Putin can do it. And I think we should strong arm into doing that. And the fact that we're letting his Nord Stream pipeline go forward after our pipeline was attacked is just outrageous. That for sure should have been stopped right then and there and said, until you tell us who's doing this, because we know where it's coming from and, and hold these people accountable. Uh, sorry, it, it's off the table. You agree with that, Alexandria? You know, this makes me think about how our military and our power has changed over years. I mean, now people don't go into countries and fight. We send drones. We attack people differently. So I think we would be naive to think that the U.S. did not have the power to attack and do what's necessary. But I also think that we support democracy and that we also want to maintain control and not encourage other powers to do things that they shouldn't be. And already we're seeing problems. And so similar to what Charles said, um, yes, we've been spying, we're listening, we're using technology like everybody else, but I don't think we have in the past, nor do I suggest that we should um, wreak havoc um, through cyber attacks on Mm -hmm. other countries or places. Okay. Brent, uh, I want to go back to uh, what's coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, The president and uh, Putin are going to be uh, meeting face to face. Uh, Is uh, is Joe Biden being uh, tested here? Uh, uh, and and how would you how would you respond to or react to how he has responded thus far? Well, look, I certainly hope he's going to be tested. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, it's going to be very difficult for the people around Joe Biden to handle him in this setting. Although they're going to try, they have to try. Uh, Vladimir Putin against Joe Biden is not a fair cage match. Uh, Putin's going to eat him alive. And I think that it's really important for the media to get a look at it and for people to hopefully see it. I think it'll be more interesting to watch how the media covers it and spins it than it will be to see what comes out of it. But this is an easy well, what prediction. Do you th- but what do you think? What do you think Joe Biden should be doing? I mean, you're you're making the case that Joe Biden is a puppet of of uh, ultra leftists. But my question no, to you I'm, is, I'm, what I'm, would you like? What would you like to see the president do? Uh, honest, honestly, I, there, there's nothing I would like to see him do. I don't think he's a puppet, by the way, for a moment. Uh, I, I think that he's, he's very obviously mentally challenged. And I think that him sitting down with Vladimir Putin, there's nothing for him to do. Nothing good can possibly Where come from this Where do you see him being, again, we're, we're getting a little far afield, but again, it, it, it's part of the, the drumbeat that I hear. Where do you, where, what evidence do you have that he is, uh, mentally out of step. Well, uh, how have you analyzed that from your non-professional position? Let's see. Watching a mother die from Alzheimer's disease, watching a father-in-law slowly die from dementia. Um, I've watched it firsthand. He's got all the tells. He had them during the campaign. I'm not afraid to say it. I think it's 
patently obvious that he, can you be specific because I, 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 he loses he loses his place uh, when he speaks he starts to answer one question and begins to answer another uh, he very quickly will deflect from what he is in at the moment when answering to then all of a sudden going to some form of a comfortable story or a rhetorical statement these are all the sort of defense mechanisms that kick in when you're starting to lose your ability to hold a steady thought. But there are also things that politicians do all the time. No, not like this. Really? Okay. Not like I this. I want to just find out, I don't want to spend a whole time on it, but I want to get reaction from everyone else on the panel as to whether or not you agree or disagree with what you've just heard Brent explain. Charles? I never thought Joe Biden was the sharpest pencil in the drawer. In fact, I wasn't sure he could write at all. Um, but based on what luck- Charles based uh, on what uh, uh, just um, first of all a lot of people on Capitol Hill who've told me and the fact that he he I just have never thought that he had anything that looked like penetrating insight coherent okay. speech he made a lot of gaps but let me tell you what I've never I haven't been willing in public to say that I think that he is in the early stages of dementia, but I have heard uh, privately uh, doctors tell me that what I would like to see and what I think he is not willing to do is release his medical records. And that I think is telling, just as I think it was telling that Trump wouldn't release his taxes. Jeannie Ives, where do you come down on this discussion of the president's mental capabilities, which was a huge part of the campaign. The American people obviously rendered their opinion on it. Uh, And where do you come down now and and how viable is it as a political tool to be used by the Republicans in challenging the, the, the mental ability of the president of the United States? I don't think we need to go that far. I mean, I think you look at his policies and they've been just destructive. And and so why would we even go into, uh, you know, measuring his mental acuity? doesn't matter. But He's Republicans do that. For I mean, $6 Brent trillion dollars in a budget, which is nonsense, to continue to pay people to not work when we've got still over 7 million unemployed, but we have jobs available. I mean, his board, the border crisis that he hasn't taken care of. I mean, I can go on and on the woke military. I mean, he's, his policies have been disasters first hundred days in. And I don't even think we have to talk about mental acuity. We can just talk about his policies because they're terrible for the American people. Okay. Alexander, I want to stick with you just on the subject of his mental acuity. Again, as a Democrat, you've, you've heard this, you heard this during the primary with other Democrats involved. So where where do you come down and, and uh, uh, you know, how do you react when uh, you hear uh, Brent or others, you know, go right to his uh, mental abilities? So I think about this in several ways. First of all, I've been very impressed with his time in office so far. I think it's really impressive. The package that came out to save the American people has been critical. Yeah. Um, as a business owner, you know, I feel that whatever legislation comes out, there's there can be positive and negative effects. And it's how we respond yeah. to that. 
We've watched the, the Senate back things up and not allow things to happen. But when it comes to his mental acuity, I think he's spot on. Similar to Brent, I've been around a lot of Alzheimer's and dementia. I'm going through it with my family currently. I've been through it several times. It's a very scary disease. Mm -hmm. I don't think Biden has this going on at all. I think he's a brilliant seasoned legislator as well as politician. And for me, ageism really comes up. And of course, is possibly the youngest person in the, the virtual room right now. I really look forward to seeing the next generation serve and the next folks get in. Mm -hmm. But genuinely speaking, Biden has done amazing things generation after generation. And I'm so happy to see him doing the hard work that all of our communities mm -hmm. need. I want to stick with you by asking the question, what is it What is it that will demonstrate to you uh, that he has what it takes to stand up to uh, Vladimir Putin when they meet in a couple of weeks? What do you want him to say or do? What do we want him to say or do with Putin? Yeah. And I'm, oh, I'm sorry. Were you talking to Jeannie? I didn't know. No, no, no. I was, I was talking to you. I, I want to find okay. out as a Democrat sorry, who really likes Biden. I mean, uh, you want him to succeed. So for me, it's really important that our president have quality international relationships. Um, right now, for me, you know, as, as a Jewish woman, Israel's friend of mine, I think that the conversation around Putin and what's going on with Russia is important. But for me right now, as a Democrat who does stand with the Democratic Party, I have a lot more thoughts about communication with Israel and where the Democratic Party is on that. But Alexander, answer, answer my, answer my question about, Put, about Putin. What do you want him? What do you want him to say to Putin? about the the alleged uh, Russian involvement, albeit they're in citizens, in, in these cyber attacks against the United States. What is it that you want him to say? And by the way, I'm at, we're going to go for a break right now. And I, when I come back, I want to get everybody's reactions. How far are you willing to go? How, how loud should we be rattling a saber uh, against this new conduct and this new war that we are all involved in? 1-800-723-8289. I also want to hear from our audience. 1-800-723-8289 from coast to coast and border to border and around the world at beyondthebeltway.com. Along the way is where we find the unexpected. Along the way is where we take in the scenery, and often where we have the most fun. Sure, along the way can be the place we stop to fill up or grab a bite to eat. But in Michigan, along the way becomes the place we've been longing for. Because enjoying the journey is always pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. Our fight against coronavirus isn't over. We still have to slow the spread and do our part. Let's wear face masks in public. Stay six feet or more from others. Follow state and local guidelines. Wash our hands frequently and stay home when we feel safe. For ourselves, for our loved ones, for our future. Let's move forward together. Learn more at coronavirus.gov. Bruce Dumont back. Thank you very much for joining us tonight on Beyond the Beltway. And before we go too much further, to all those out there who have graduated from either grammar school or high school or college, uh, congratulations to you as you move on to the next chapter of your life. I know this 
Coming Tuesday, my granddaughter will graduate from high school in California, and so she's getting all excited about heading to college. And I'm sure there's literally thousands of people that are listening to the broadcast this evening who either are involved in moving on with the next chapter of their lives or their, your members of your family are. So we, we, we offer you a, a good wishes and, and a healthy, safe future. Uh, on that note, I want to ask all of our guests to take a moment and introduce themselves uh, with a little background information. And let's begin with uh, Brent Hamachuk, who joins me in studio tonight. Brent? Uh, thanks so much. Uh, first of all, a big hello to Judy Sherwin, your regular guest who's watching tonight. I told her I would say hello to her. Uh, I am the news editor at Human Events. I have the great privilege to work with uh, Jeff Webb of Varsity Cheer fame and Will Chamberlain, Charlie Kirk. We just brought on Jack Posobiec. Uh, we're building a really exciting thing over at Human Events, taking a platform that's been around since 1944, Ronald Reagan's favorite uh, periodical to read, and we are breathing new 21st century life into it. So that's my job. It's a lot of fun. I'm grateful. So it's going to be, be a here. digital. Uh, it'll be a digital. We're, we're digital. We're on. We're on Facebook. We'll be. Uh, we'll be streaming your your show tonight uh, on our platform, and Thank we're. You. Breaking original news, and we're having a lot of fun. Adding Jack Posobiec is a big deal. Very good. Let's go to Charles Lipson. Charles, tell us a little bit about you, yourself and your boyhood in Marks, Mississippi. Thank you. Where uh, the city of New Orleans now stops on its way. There's not an actual person at the station, but they do. <laughs> and I grew up there, went to high school there, and then I went off to school in the East and got a Ph.D. in it taught for four decades at the University of Chicago, mostly in international politics, but also some stuff on um, what I call core Western values, free speech, democracy, and the like. Uh, I'm emeritus now, which gives me more time uh, to do shows like yours, Bruce, but also write a lot of uh, op-eds, which I do mm -hmm. for Real Clear Politics, uh, Spectator USA, and so forth. Great. And you're on with our good friend uh, Tom Bevan on his uh, Real Clear politics program. I am indeed. I am indeed. Let me ask. Uh, let me, me ask. A chance to spout yeah, off. Good. Let me. Let me ask you a question. When you were growing up in Marks, Mississippi, um, and I think you've told this story before, were you the right. only Jewish family, or one of a few Jewish families in Marks, Mississippi, at that time? There were three. We considered ourselves the center of Jewish life in America. <laughs> um, we were about eighty miles south of Memphis. Uh, my, uh, some of my family came over from Bohemia, uh, Austro-Hungarian empire in the 1860s and seventies. And some came from Russia, Poland. And in fact, my great grandfather who lived with us until he was in his nineties and died, had been in the czar's army and escaped on foot. You were drafted for 25 years. you you were declared legally dead and your wife could remarry. Uh -huh. uh, so, uh, I, it was, I really experienced very little anti-Semitism there. I, I have very warm memories of growing up there and still mm -hmm. have a lot of friends. In fact, one of the things about, uh, the internet that, uh, that, uh, Brent was just talking about is how much I've been able to connect with old friends through Facebook and mm -hmm. the like. Right, very good. Jeannie Ives, tell us, uh, for those listening beyond Illinois, I think most people in Illinois know of your incredible uh, political pedigree, but tell people around the country a little bit about yourself. Well, I actually grew up in South Dakota, one of the more free states in the Union, but I went to West Point, served six years in the Army, and uh, 
became a mom. I'm a mother of five. Um, and I, in fact, I've got two kids serving in the military right now. Um, and I became an Illinois state legislator, and I did that for six years under some of the most contentious time frame in, in Illinois, quite frankly. And I now run a not-for-profit that is about uh, connecting the dots on policy to suburban voters so that they are making a more informed choice. And what, what are the specific issues that uh, are part of this dot connecting? Oh, well, we take on everything from fiscal to culture. Uh, schools have been a huge issue with our grassroots activists. Uh, they are very upset with the diversity, equity, inclusion uh, doctrines that they see going through the public schools. Of course, fiscal, you know, Illinois is a disaster that way. But we have a really thriving youth group. And believe it or not, we put a Jewish rabbi in front of them Friday night mm -hmm. to discuss the Israeli-Palestinian situation and what was the cause of all this recent conflict, because the kids are very interested in what is happening in international affairs. So we're there to connect the dots on all sorts of policy. Alexandra Eidenberg, in the introduction, I mentioned that you are the state chair in Illinois for Vote Mama, Illinois. What is Vote Mama, Illinois, Alexandra? So Vote Mama is an organization that I'm the state chair for. It's one of many Democratic hats that I hold. But Vote Mama helps moms with kids under the age of 18 get elected and stay elected. We focus on helping women get elected that are 100% pro-choice and support public education. And we have had the opportunity of getting a lot of women elected nationally. It was founded by a lady named Luba Gretchen Shirley, who ran for Congress a couple of years ago. Um, and it's an amazing organization. I'm also um, on the executive board of New Chair Democrats, as well as the co-chair of membership for Invest to Elect and involved in, in you know various democratic activities throughout our state hosting many fundraisers we just had congresswoman lauren underwood um this weekend which was such a momentous win um you know oprah rice really tried to play with those numbers but the mm -hmm. facts the facts and lauren won and when i'm not doing that i run an insurance agency called the insurance people where i specialize in healthcare. and similar to Jeannie, i have quite a few kids i had four kids in three years and all my kids just aged up. My twins turned eight a couple days ago, and well, my middle guy six, my little guy four. Okay. And I'm uh, one passionate mama and excited to help other moms. And okay. that's why I'm the state chair for Vote Mama. Okay. A question. Uh, this goes back to uh, one. This is the, this is my button up question uh, about uh, about ransomware and and where the powers uh, or the, the the pebbles lead on this story. Um, should it be should the should the government have some law should there be some legislation that makes it impossible or illegal to uh, pay ransom do you think uh, jenny we'll start with you on that yes or no uh no I, I think that that's an overreach for the government to tell private companies what they how they can and cannot operate their business to that standpoint uh charles lipson I'm mixed. I had a discussion about that this this afternoon with several lawyers and so forth. I do think it's a possibility that we can make it harder uh, for companies to do it by taxing them for anything that they pay or not making it r r something they can write off as a business expense. I want to make it harder for uh, outsiders to attack us. Alexandria uh, Eidenberg, your response. Very similar to Charles, you know, fines and fees. Um, I'm very pro-legislating things. I think that with legislation, we see normalcy. Um, and so I'm, I'm for something, but I don't think, you know, I think there's got to be a balance. Brent, your reaction? Absolutely not. Under no circumstance should the government pass a law 
telling a private company it can or can't pay ransom. If the government can't do its job to protect us and our infrastructure from attacks in the first place, the idea that they would step in and then tell a privately owned company what it can or can't do with their resources is immoral. There's no other word for it. So, so, no. then, so then Facebook did what they did to the president, uh, expanding his suspension for another two years. Then you don't have any problem with that. I don't have any problem with anything that any private company does. I'm not okay. in favor of what Facebook did, but look, we have a First Amendment in this country, and that means it protects Facebook's ability to suspend whoever they want. It doesn't mean it protects us from being suspended. That's how it works. The government can't pass that law. Facebook can do whatever they want. And people like me who waste their time fighting against Facebook, mm-hmm. well, they're wasting their time. Jeannie Ives, you, you agree with that? Well, look, I mean, uh, it is a universal platform widely used. I think that they should uh, certainly lose their uh, Section 230 protections uh, when they want to start to censor individual content. And so they should be able to be sued over that. Um, And so I think that there's other remedies other than telling me and what they can and cannot do. You can choose another platform. I think people are switching off of Facebook. Um, I hope their ad revenue tanks. Um, and, and I hope that we come up with another different, more free market solution to Facebook. When you have read uh, what the president said uh, in and around January 6th, was there anything that you saw that he said, Jeannie, that disturbed you? No. Okay. No. Charles Lipson, what about you? I was very disturbed. I thought that the attack uh, on the Capitol was a very serious matter. And I thought that the fact that the president didn't uh, come out and I don't necessarily say that he's responsible. I think that he brought people uh, to town and he revved up the motor, but I I wish he had spoken out earlier against it. And he hasn't really, uh, uh, I'm much closer to Mike Pence on all of this stuff. Uh, I think it was a very serious matter on Facebook. Uh, I generally agree with what Brent said. I would say this, if you're a candidate running for office during the period in which you've declared and are running and let's call it several months Mm -hmm. before the election, I think it's a real problem if major platforms don't allow you that are supposed to be open platforms. They're not, uh, MSNBC, uh, if they don't allow you to put out your word, uh, they are in effect give, uh, giving in-kind contributions to your opponent. And I think that that's a bit of a problem. Yes. When we come back, I want to hear our other guests respond to the same question about uh, uh, the in- increased suspension for another two years of President Trump and also a little bit more about how important is it that there be some sort of ongoing invest, maybe ongoing investigation into what happened on January 6th. Uh, I know Congress has got a couple of reports coming out. Is that going to be enough or do we need yet another uh, blue ribbon committee to look into what happened? 14 clubs. That's what they tell us a legal golf bag can hold. And while that leaves a little room for balls and tees, it doesn't leave room for much else. There's no room left for deadlines or conference calls, not a single pocket to hold the stress of the day or the to-do list of tomorrow. Only 14 clubs. Pick out the right one 
and drive it right down the middle of pure Michigan. Your golf trip begins at Michigan.org. With instant acceleration, electric cars are more fun to drive and more affordable than ever. Electric cars are here. Plug in to the present. Rooster Mont back. Thanks very much for joining us this evening, and nice to have you with us. 1-800-723-8289. And uh, uh, I want to get back to uh, what we what we can be doing, and so far as the, uh, uh, the ransom is paid, we, t- we, t- we talked basically that nobody really thinks that anybody should really be uh, charged with anything, but I, I want to I get back to the investigation of January 6th and whether or not uh, we need more investigations. Uh, Alexandra, there's going to be a couple of reports coming out in the next couple of weeks uh, from Congress. Uh, is that going to be enough to answer the question, why Why do we need yet another commission looking into what happened on, on that day? In your view, if indeed you think we do. So the, the insurrection is just deplorable, and I'm really shocked to see that not more Republicans are standing up to looking into it, investigating it, and the ones that are being shamed and shunned. I think that this is a really critical time in our community. We do not need to be encouraging putting our capital at risk and in an unsafe situation. It is absolutely disgusting. I do think it needs to be investigated. I think the fact that we, again, ended up in a filibuster situation, um, trying to do what's right for our country. What do you want to know? But what do you want to know? What, what, What do you want to know that you don't know now? I think it's really important to understand how it happened, why it happened, how it was encouraged. There's a lot of questions that have gone unanswered, and we don't know those answers. And without facts, we cannot take action and protect ourselves in the future from such horrible actions. Give me one. Um, give me one. Give me one. Give me one. Give me one question that you don't think has been answered yet. Big question is that folks want to definitely understand Trump's involvement, if any. Okay. Do you think there's some questions that you want answered, uh, Charles, and what would they be? Uh, I think that what's happened is that there's a legitimate need to understand how we can protect uh, the Capitol going forward without turning it into a fortress. I think that both sides would actually like the issue. I think the Democrats in particular would like the issue more. I think this is perfect for them. They like the idea that the Republicans are seen as blocking this. Uh, They put in, in effect, enough poison pills that they wanted the Republicans to block it. I think that's, I think that that's actually characteristic of a lot of our politics now. Uh, it's certainly characteristic of immigration and other issues. The, uh, both sides would rather have the issue than a solution. Jeannie Ives, do you agree with that, that, that they may not want a solution? I think that 
think definitely the Democrats want to keep this alive. And I think it's really false to call this an insurrection. And as Biden has said, I mean, he says it was the biggest attack on America since the Civil War. I mean, come on, are you kidding me? What about 9-11? What about Pearl Harbor? I mean, this is the type of rhetoric, putting it up with those is, is ridiculous. And I think if you're going to investigate anything, I think what you need to investigate is why did the mayor of D.C. stand down and not take accepted help that the uh, Trump administration offered for protection that day? Why did the guards obviously let people just walk into the Capitol with no uh, no try, no attempt to uh, disengage from them and, and, and make sure that they didn't do that? So, yeah, there are some unanswered questions. We're just not certain that those well, are the types of things that are going to be investigated. But one and of the, majority concern here. But one of those questions that you just stated that that you feel is unanswered, and, and I would agree with it, and, and that is whether or not there were those who were either guards at uh, the Capitol or who were part of the law enforcement sent to the Capitol, that they basically were sympathizers with those that were charging uh, the Capitol. And again, a lot of there was investigations as to whether or not the members of the National Guard might have some, you know, background, you know, connection to militia groups. That's ridiculous. Okay, I'm I'm going to reject that on its face. Okay, the idea that you have uh, sort of sympathizers in the National Guards is just a crazy talk. And the idea that you think you're going to hyper um, uh, check into our military, I, I mean, honestly, you have no idea what these people have signed up for. And how, uh, you know, what a dishonest attack it is on our military to make assumptions about them uh, being, you know, white supremacists, for example. I mean, that is, I just totally reject that idea completely. But again, if, if you were looking for the truth as to what happened, would you acknowledge? No, 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 no. But based, based, based Jenny, let me I ask. I think let, that let they me, were uh, going to let these folks in. They obviously let them in. There were many people. Of different, I mean, do I think it's right that they entered? A hundred percent not. Never would have done it, but I think people were led to believe it was okay to enter. Now, there were some people, obviously, that did, did, took things way too far. Uh-huh. They should prosecute under the normal set of our laws. But if you're going to investigate, investigate that insurrection, then you need to investigate all the rioting that occurred in 2020 as well, uh, that where people have been completely let off uh, with when they have committed felonies. I mean... There was a massive report in the Chicago Tribune about the effects of the 2020 riots, and yet very few people have been charged or prosecuted for these offenses. So if you're going to investigate this insurrection and treat those people who entered uh, and put them in solitary confinement like you did, then we want to see Antifa and the things that happened in Portland. We want that to happen in the same way. We want to see the looting and the rioting that occurred in Chicago and other major cities. We want that to happen in the same way. But you have completely unfair um, justice going on between the incidences there. And that is a, a real problem for anybody who cares about uh, our constitutional rights. Brent, uh, I want to get from you, but we're going into a break right now, so uh, we're not going to get to your point now, but after the news, Please. in the next hour, we want to have you Please. respond to that. And the other question is, you know, we, we've been talking about Russia and their involvement in uh, in, in cyber attacks or those within Russia uh, and, and what the response uh, from uh, the United States should be. Uh, there's another big issue out there, and that's what happened in Wuhan. What do we know about Wuhan? Who was involved? Whose fingerprints are on this? 
In the next hour, we're going to talk about how aggressive should the United States be in finding out the answer to those questions. And again, does that put a finger not only on, on China, but also the President President Trump's suggestion that a $10 trillion uh, fine be placed against uh, China for their devastation around the world. We'll get to that in the next hour. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. takes 200,000 parts, 800,000 hours of supercomputing time, 3 million lines of code, 40,000 sets of eyes, or a million sleepless nights. Whether it's building the world's most advanced satellite, the space station, or the next leap in unmanned systems, at Boeing, one thing never changes. Our passion to make it real. Not wearing a mask in public is like not wearing a seatbelt because no one else is. Or not wearing a life jacket because it's uncomfortable. Or not wearing a helmet because it's just one play. Or not putting me in a car seat because we're only going down the block. A mask is like anything that keeps us safe. It only works if you wear it. So wear a mask when you're out in public because we're all safer and stronger when we go all in, Illinois. back for hour number two of Beyond the Beltway. Thank you very much for joining us. Wherever you're listening, from coast to coast and border to border, nice to have you with us. Uh, we've got a great uh, panel with us this evening. They are in studio with me is Brent Hamachek. He's with Human Events. And also around uh, the Zoom phone, uh, we have Alexandra Eidenberg. She is with Vote Mama Illinois. She is the state chairman. Jeannie Ives is a conservative leader and a former candidate for governor and also for U.S. Congress. And Charles Lipson, a longtime professor from the University of Chicago. And uh, we now have a actually we got a caller on the line. Been waiting for quite, quite some time. Uh, John is listening to us in McHenry, Illinois. Go ahead, uh, John. Yes, thank you. Good evening, all. Yep. Uh, I'm calling in response to the um, whole January 6th commission that was yes. filibustered yes. last month. Right. Um, I, I agree with mostly with, with Ms. Ives, but what Ms. Eidenberg was saying, I just have to point out, look, we had an impeachment trial. President Trump was found, was acquitted. If the impeachment managers wanted to bring witnesses to say, you know, to get to the bottom of what happened on January 6th and any involvement of then-President Trump, they had their chance, and they didn't take it. What I'm concerned about, if they go with a commission, is innocence. There were tens of thousands outside the Capitol that day peacefully protesting. We already saw the husband of an Illinois congresswoman um, was censured because he was there at a peaceful protest speaking, and he was cleared this weekend. You know, maybe Ms. Ives might speak to that as well. Mm-hmm. But I guess it's, 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 this could just spiral out of... They're going to go after people who were peacefully there, and they obeyed law enforcement when it was time to leave. They left. And I have friends with, I'm sure everybody has friends who were outside and had nothing to do with the violence, just like 
the husband of the congresswoman. So I'll let your panel, I'll listen and let the panel respond. All right, let's, uh, we're going to go to Jeannie Ives first, and then we're going to go to Alexandra. But uh, Jeannie, you were mentioned by the caller. Go ahead. Yes, he's, uh, the caller's absolutely right. Uh, Mary Miller, brand new state rep down in central, central and southern Illinois. Uh, her husband was there, and um, he got censored over what they thought he was part of the problem on January 6th because, of course, Mary was there in office officially, uh, already had started as a congresswoman, and they kind of wrapped up because the Democrats in the state of Illinois wanted to make uh, brouhaha over it. They basically uh, tried to censor uh, Chris Miller. They had him investigated for being part of the insurrection. None of this was found out to be truthful. Uh, they, they passed a resolution uh, this, this last week on the House floor. It was asked that that, that be negated and stricken from the record. And of course, the Democrats didn't do anything with it. Uh, but yeah, uh, this is the kind of uh, the problem that we have. I know, I know people, I didn't go there, but I know many people who went there and were outside and they had no idea at all what was happening in the Capitol. In fact, I called them, I said, Hey, did you see what's happening on the Capitol? I'm watching it on my TV. They're like, no, there's nothing happening here. It's completely peaceful around me. And they're on the other side of the Capitol seeing none of this happening. Alexandra, your response uh, to uh, John's position. This was not a peaceful protest. When you peaceful protest, you don't bring guns. And I think that's just it. You don't no bring guns. guns. No guns. That's just not true. There are no weapons. The FBI said so. One, one second. One second. No one guns. It's a lie. It's just a That's lie. A lie. I cannot let her get away with that. No, it's no. a lie. Right. I, there was no. There guns. were no guns. Alexandra, Alexandra, Alexandra. Let me, let me just say because I want to continue with the conversation. Oh you, you, you made a comment. Jeannie Ives and Brent both disagree that Absolutely. there were no, that there were no guns. The FBI right. disagrees. So, so let's go on to your next <laughs> point. Let's we'll we'll, no we'll put that on hold. Uh, there's there's certainly a disagreement on that, but but tell me more about what your response was. This attack on our capital is completely disgusting, and I am saddened that Eugenie and Brent continue to back it up and defend it. I think that we've gotten to a point in the Republican Party where you guys are not even at a, at a juncture where you want to support normal things like keeping our capital safe. And it's really disappointing and disheartening. And I don't think it was a peaceful protest. I also think that those of you who have protested, I'm gonna go on a limb and assume that everyone here has been to some kind of protest. I agree with you that some people go there for a friendly protest and others do not and things go wrong. However, with that said, this particular protest and, and attack on our Capitol is completely unacceptable and defending it over and over again proves further that this is part of the voice of the Republican Party these days. And do, you know, do I, Bruce, 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 one second, one second. Bruce, do I get a chance? You do one second, one second. Oh, uh, Alexander, one second. We're gonna, one second. We're going to go. We're going to go. Here's, here's where every, everybody's going to respond. Okay. We're going to go to Brent first, then Charles, and then Jeannie. Brent, go ahead. Let me be crystal clear. Calling this an insurrection is the most abusive use of language that anyone can possibly have. There was no attempt to take over the United States government. That is simply not true. How about and shut it down? They walked into the Capitol building and made some mischief. Nobody. They did, but they wanted to stop a vote. They wanted to stop a vote. It's not an insurrection. Is, no, but is that, Call, shutting, is that shutting government down? 
goodness. Sure, I guess they shut it down for a few minutes because people panic. Okay. Look, but enough. We know. Here's what we know. We know that on January 6th, one woman was shot in cold blood. We know that. We know that one person was trampled to death outside by the crowd. We know that. Beyond that, we know very little. I would encourage your viewers to go to StopHate.com and watch the new 37-minute video that has been put together from a compilation of cell phone recordings from that day, time-ordered, watch what happened. By the way, we also know from some former intelligence folks that Antifa was heavily involved in what took place on January 6th. Now, we're never going to know the truth about January 6th because we're never going to get to the bottom of it. But to call it an insurrection, I have had it. It is ridiculous. Charles Lipson, go ahead. I have uh, two main thoughts. The first is that I think that Alexandra uh, was uh, hitting a, a straw man um, and uh, defaming, really, what Jeannie uh, and Brent said. I don't quite agree with what Brent is saying. I think that uh, trying to stop the vote in the Capitol was a very, very serious thing. So, uh, but I don't think it goes as far as an insurrection. But the point is, Jeannie and Brent never defended these illegal actions. What they were doing was drawing a distinction between the people who were outside peacefully protesting and the people who went inside. And to conflate them is, to, is really a smear. I think the other thing that I want to say is that Donald Trump really damaged himself and damaged the Republican Party, not just on what he did on the uh, 5th and 6th of January, but what he did after November the 3rd. I think that it's a real problem. And I think the fact that Trump remains the most prominent person in the Republican Party is the biggest obstacle to their winning the White House in 2024. Okay. When we come back, I want to give Jeannie a full opportunity, but we're going to a break now. I don't want to limit her to 10 seconds. Uh, when we come back, we'll hear from Jeannie Ives on that. And then we promise we're going to move on to some other issues. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. 1-800-723-8289. If you want to chip in with your comments, 1-800-723-8289. On the Beltway continues now from WCGO in Evanston, Illinois. And before the break, uh, we were going to turn the uh, tables, not turn the tables, but turn the microphone on for Jeannie Ives because she wanted to respond to the comments about the, uh, the insurrection uh, that she thinks also is a, perhaps a, a misnomer as to what happened on January 6th. Jeannie? Yes, thanks a lot, uh, Bruce, for letting me clear this up. Listen, um, I believe that the people who entered the Capitol and did so illegally were wrong and should be prosecuted. I, I said that from the get-go. Mm. Uh, there were thousands of people outside the Capitol with no awareness whatsoever what was going on inside the Capitol. They were there to peacefully protest, and that was what they were you know, able to do. That's, that's, that's terrific. But the idea that this is an insurrection in that they were able to delay a vote that was coming up. I mean, I look, I think I'm the only one who's ever been elected that's on this panel here tonight. And we were interrupted numerous times while I sat 
in my seat in the House chambers in the state of Illinois by left-wing radical protesters lining the gallery, throwing stuff over the sides at legislators, having to shut them down, could not even go out the front doors because literally you had protesters lying on the floor, having to be dragged out. Mm-hmm. Tell me didn't, that that was an insurrection. No, that wasn't an insurrection either. That is a bunch of idiots acting like idiots. Okay, Jeannie, Jeannie, because of the, because of the perception that uh, January sixth has in the public, uh, defined by Democrats, perpetuated by the national news media, mm-hmm. uh, and and even some Republicans. My question to you is, how how long will it take to erase that image that's out there? Because part of the analysis is that that image has led to the the severing of relations within the Republican Party, because you have people that were not there. They've they've taken the the word insurrection. They may have agreed with it, and they don't want to support anything or anybody that might have been associated with those that showed up there. Whether they were the violent, they certainly don't want to show any support for the violent violent ones. But they don't want to give any encouragement to the others that you say that were there in mass, but were not part of the violent uh, part uh, or uh, actions of what took place there. So from from a standpoint as as a Republican, you are a conservative Republican, a conservative Republican uh, who is you you either get elected or you don't, and you've had a couple of experiences where you didn't you didn't quite make it because there's other people that call themselves Republicans who don't like the fact that you may be supporting or giving cover to those that were involved in what they describe as a riot or insurrection. It's, it's a well, convoluted you know, listen, question. I've, but- I've not given cover to anybody about that. I've not really discussed it. I've explained it. Um, I wasn't there again. Um, listen, Republicans align behind policy. It's the Democrats that go to personality. Now, I think all of this goes away when Governor DeSantis gets in the 2024 race and we rally against uh, around a real true leader who has can show you uh, on the fiscal side, on the cultural side, that he aligns with the majority of Americans. And then all this goes away. And it goes away when Adam Kinzinger loses and Liz Cheney loses and some of these other people lose because we are not the cult of personality like you get in the Democrats. We are about policy. And um, and I, I think that, that you know, uh, as much as people like, look, he was my 17th choice, President Trump, but I aligned with him on policy. I will tell you that he had great policy uh, when it came to the fiscal sense. Um, unfortunately, maybe we'll get on to it, but he should have fired Fauci from the get go. That's turned out to be a disastrous, um, uh, you know, pick for him to keep that guy on. So, you know, not everything went perfect, but uh, people in the, my party, we, we look towards the policy leaders. Could, could I, Bruce, yeah. could I briefly, ahead, res- just briefly, Go ahead. Uh, I love Jeannie. I actually disagree with Jeannie here when she says we're not a party and, and a cult of personality. Look, I'm a big fan of uh, the Trump presidency, uh, was a fan of his candidacy. I loved his policies, uh, but I think it's impossible to take a look around the country and look at the following he has and to not say that there isn't a cult of personality that surrounded him. In fact, that's the danger for America going forward, is that people won't be able to separate continuing on with his policies and ideas 
from continuing on with him. So I think it's a real problem for us. I'm a Trump fan, but I do think that we become a cult of personality, and I think it's a problem. So respectfully and rarely, Jeannie, I disagree a little bit on that one. Alexandra, uh, as a Democrat, uh, w- would you be cheering if Donald Trump ran again? Would that be an e- would that be viewed as easy pickings for uh, uh, Biden-Harris uh, or yeah. Harris and somebody else? Yes, um, I think that would be very easy pickings. And I just want to take a moment, you know, Charles, um, you're a very smart gentleman and I believe we've been on the show together and I'm a little bit offended that you would question my integrity and I just want to point that out. Um, what, Jean- packed people I've had numerous opportunities to have bipartisan conversation with you. And Brent, that's one of the reasons why I always appreciate being in your presence. This was an insurrection. And if not. we want to hide and say it's not, that's the problem. And Jeannie, when you're saying that the Republican Party gathers around policy, I think we've we've seen that Trump is not gathering people around policy. And this is why, Bruce, to your point, if Trump is the candidate, this is going to be an easier win for the Democrats than we thought. And he uh, he encourages behavior like racism and anti-Semitism out of the communities in every single state. And it is unacceptable behavior and absolutely disgusting. And it's, it's, it may it's, be it may, it may be so, it may be so, Alexandra. But as you as you think, I think I've just heard you say uh, it, it it underscores that he is a in a in a 50 state race. He's a loser. I mean, he, well, what what took place on uh, last November when Donald Trump lost, how is that going to be different than what the body politic looks like in four years in 2024? Where is it? Does it mean that uh, that Pennsylvania is going to flip back to Trump? Does it mean that Arizona is going to flip back to Trump? Does it make does do any of those things make sense? I, I'm going to ask this to anybody. Does anybody think that, again, uh, if Donald Trump is on the ticket, does Pennsylvania and 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 uh, uh, and and uh, I guess you could well I'd just say Pennsylvania and Arizona and Michigan do any of those flip the other way? I think it's very hard for him to win. Go ahead, I think Charles. It's very hard for him to win. I agree. Uh, I think that um, that Tom Cotton uh, I think uh, would have a good chance. I think that uh, it's possible Nikki Haley would. I think that the best. Um, candidate right now looks like Ron DeSantis. Uh, but uh, I think that the point that Brent makes about a cult of personality is right. And I think when you combine a cult of personality with populism, there's an element that's scary. I want to go back to something that Alexandra said. Alexandra, first, almost every time you speak, you use the term disgusting and you use it with regard to what other people are doing. I don't think this is a helpful way to talk with each other about politics. Secondly, what I objected to in what you were saying was you were imputing to Jeannie and Brent views that they did not have. And since those views were being imputed after they had clearly said that they didn't have them. It was hard not, I didn't say this at the time, but I will say it now. It's hard not to believe that you were imputing it to them with deliberate falsity. So that's why I called it a smear. I don't think uh, this is the right way to talk about things. Everything is disgusting to you. Every approach that the other side says is an insurrection. This kind of hyperbole 
is not good when Trump does it, and it's not good when you do it. Charles, I think the insurrection is disgusting. There, I can use deplorable, I can use other descriptive words. Any attack on our capital is disappointing and disgusting. I agree with I that. I that you do not like I agree it. with that. Now, what are you going to impute to me? Are you mansplaining? Is that where we're going with this? Oh, I see. Now we get to gender. Now we get to gender. Go ahead. Go ahead. Am I also white? I mean, what else are you going to attack me for? Uh, here's one thing, though. The idea that Trump was an anti-Semite and you've got Biden cozying up to Iran, who is the state sponsor of terrorism with Hamas, after we've seen them fire 4,000 rockets into Israel, is a little bit concerning here. And I think that that is something that the Democrats are going to have to explain. And I've also read reports where progressive Democrats are a little bit upset with Biden. And they have to explain why they haven't really renounced the squad. Mm -hmm. Look, the, if I could, the, the Republican Party has, you know, I, don't, I don't know how we got onto anti-Semitism, but we're here, so let's sit here for a minute. Uh, the Republican Party has been the, the party of Israel, uh, just as a nice flag to fly in terms of taking a look at issues of anti-Semitism. They've been the party of Israel forever. Democrats get confused. They think that the Democratic Party is the party of Israel because Harry Truman was around when the nation was created. Well, I've got news for him. Harry Truman went into that kicking and screaming. And the Democrats have been kicking and screaming about Israel ever since. So if we're going to talk about anti-Semitism in politics today, and if we're going to talk about a threat to the Jewish community, we need to talk about the Democratic Party, we need to talk about Antifa, and we need to talk about the people at Black Lives Matter. That's who we have to talk about. Okay, we do have to pause. I want to get, I want to give everybody an opportunity to respond to that. And again, we are going to talk about China as well, uh, as well as we've got telephone callers on the line. We certainly have touched a nerve tonight. One eight hundred seven two three eighty twenty nine. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. Back and our guest this evening, Alexandra Eidenberg, is here. She is with Vote Mama Illinois. She's the state chair. Human Events, uh, Brent Hamachek from Human Events. Uh, do you call it a magazine or just Human Events? You know, it's a great question in this digital world. Yeah. You, we're, we're an online What's a magazine, Daddy. <laughs> we're an online magazine, news and opinion, uh, available seven days a week. Okay. And they, people can go to Human Events and just uh, there you are. Yes. Humanevents.com. There we are. Conservative leader Jeannie Ives is with us this evening, and also Charles Lipson from the University of Chicago. And let me just a program note, and then I, I'm gonna I'm gonna we're gonna take a couple of questions uh, from our audience, and then uh, we are gonna spend some time uh, on uh, China and what retaliation, if any, uh, we should have against China. President Trump uh, last night in North Carolina said there should be a, a ten trillion dollar fine against them uh, for crimes against uh, humanity involving uh, what came out of Wuhan. Uh, but I just want to mention that for, for, for regular listeners to this program, uh, our fourth guest uh, this evening, uh, our fourth guest this evening is Charles Lipson, 
Our fourth guest would have usually been a very hard left guest. We have hard left guests on this program all the time. I've got a whole roster of hard left guests. And I will tell you, I'll be very honest, uh, I reached out to about 15 of them to be on this evening with Alexandra. None of them were available. They all love the show, but they all had some previous engagement. And so uh, we we have in our fourth spot tonight someone who I think can be objective. That's Charles Lipson. He was kind enough to agree to do this program uh, earlier, actually late last night, which I sincerely appreciate because he's a he's a great raconteur and involved in in great political discussion. Always has been a guest on this program who is always welcome. Uh, but if you're sitting at home or you're watching us on the internet and saying, "Oh, Bruce is stacking the deck tonight because he doesn't know another liberal," <laughs> I've explained to you exactly uh, what this is about. It's never about a gang up on this program. It will never be about a gang up on anybody because of their political positions, regardless of of what they are, uh, whether they agree with me or not. That's that's not the way I conduct this program for forty years. So again. Again, if you've had that question, you've been thinking that way throughout the show, I, I have now explained it to you. And, Alexander, I hope you appreciate uh, the efforts that I've made, and we appreciate uh, your effort to be here to stand up uh, and, and wave the flag. And, by the way, there have been programs that have gone the other way where, you know, we end up having, you know, maybe too many liberal guests. That happens every once in a while as well. Ben in El Paso, Texas, listening to us on KTSM, joins us tonight. Go ahead, Ben. You're on Beyond the Beltway. Good evening. Uh, for the last four years, our Congress has investigated the Russian hoax. We've had two impeachments, and now we want to investigate what happened on January 6th. Today on Meet the Press, Mark Warner, the Democratic senator, yes. had the hubris to say, quote, for years we've known about attacks on our cybersecurity, but now the American people really realize that we have a problem. Right. What has our, our government, our Congress done anything to protect our, our safety and protect our cybersecurity? And if anything happens to our electrical grid, I feel we should hold these congressional leaders responsible for all the deaths that will occur if this happens to our nation. I couldn't agree with you more, and I couldn't agree. I, I saw him on with uh, uh, with Chuck Todd today, and, and I agree with your assessment. And, and normally, I don't agree with Chuck Todd about many things, but he was sort of uh, it was sort of incredulous to him uh, that all this has been going on without without a lot of detail as to who has been responsible. Uh, and I shared that concern today. And again, there was a book about I want to say about six or seven years ago, written by Ted Koppel, formerly of Nightline who warned everybody about some of these issues, specifically within the electric grid. And I think you're right. That's that's the next time bomb that's ticking out there. And uh, I think the point that the senator made was, you know, this, this is an issue now that is it's impacted the lives and the livelihood and the activity of people who needed a gas uh, in the uh, northeastern sector of the country and also people that, that, that like beef all over the country, and uh, they both have been, they both have been hit. Well, hey, uh, Bruce, let me just wait. Go ahead. Jeannie, I... Hey, he, he, he didn't say that. He, he had the well, listen, to say... I mean, if, 
One, one the second. Democrats want to yeah. live in a world yeah. without bees yeah. and yeah. only yeah. in solar. Oh, just one, just just one second. Uh, stand by, if you will, because. We're going to go to Jeannie Ives, who has a comment. We had a little crosstalk there, and then okay. we'll, we'll go back to the caller if he's still there. Go ahead, Jeannie. Well, look, if the Democrats want to, uh, you know, uh, live without beef and run their lives on wind and solar, then they're going to get the perfect example if they don't figure out how to spend their infrastructure dollars strengthening the infrastructure that we have and the critical stuff of that. I ran for Congress, and when they asked me, what are the top three things that you think we should do, number three, right after taking on China, what are the top three national security concerns, number three was strengthening our infrastructure, specifically our grid, but of course, my opponent was all about, uh, well, we need all the green energy that we can purchase with a bunch of tax subsidies, right. and I think that the Democrats are really, really hurting themselves if they don't think if they don't take on this project right now and flip every infrastructure dollar to doing the hard work that needs to be done to strengthen our grid. Alexandra, do you agree with that, Alexandra? Then I'm going to go to Charles. Alexandra? So I, you know, I think that the, first of all, the investment in anything green environmentally, very supportive of it. I don't think Democrats are not investing in cyber technology and cyber protection. I think, you know, that's not what's going on. Um, and I definitely don't support putting every single infrastructure dollar into one bucket, um, like Jeannie's saying. But at the end of the day, we all know that this is a threat that does need to be addressed. And I think that these conversations that are coming, what is like a week out now, maybe even a couple of days, time moving very quickly. Um, it's going to be very important how the conversation goes with Putin. Um, and I'm personally very interested in seeing a rejuvenation in those international relationships and, you know, recalibrating with allies, because this is not just a national problem. It's an international problem. Should he be warned? Should should Putin be warned? Shut this up or else. And And or else, what would or else mean to you? Does anybody have an answer to that? What does it mean? If, if we stood up, problem, Charles Lipson, go think, to you. Bruce, I think that the problem that uh, Joe Biden faces with regard uh, to Putin is rather similar to the one that uh, Barack Obama did, that I, I think that they're perceived as relatively weak. And that that may be inaccurate, but um, it, it it can be very dangerous. Uh, because it leads them to challenge you. I want to say one thing. I do not think that the cyber uh, hardening the cyber thing really is a Republican versus Democrat thing. I think both sides now want to do it. I they agree. may have, one may have been slower to the to it uh, than the other. I think it's a quite separate issue from green energy. I would say this about China and Russia. Look at the difference in what they're doing. Russia is protecting, I'm not saying that it's state actors, Russia is protecting people who are predators. And if they're protecting them, they're not doing it for free. They're sharing the money, right? Those people who are stealing money from a beef processor are giving some of it to the people who are protecting them, right? That's the way that works. China is doing something very different. They're stealing intellectual property to the order of 
hundreds of uh, billions of dollars. We estimate $500 billion a year. They're not holding us up for ransom. They've got a productive economy, but they're building it on the back of stolen technology. That's very different. We want to stop both. What about the what about the role? I'm going to go to Jeannie because you mentioned that was one of your key uh, campaign issues when when you ran for Congress. And that is what should we do? How strong should we be about China and and whether or not China is going to cooperate? And can we believe them if they do cooperate when it comes to who knew what about Wuhan and 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 whether or not the people that in the United States like Dr. Fauci, who was supposed to be watching all this and advising the president, uh, whether he was up to the task of really uh, pointing out where the, uh, or at least believing that there could be a, uh, you know, a malfeasance on the part of the Chinese, which he's never been willing to do. Well, listen, this is a case where actually Trump was right in many respects. He he did say that he felt like it came from the laboratory, or at least that should be investigated. We now know because of Fauci's emails being revealed that Fauci had had, a, you know, a thought that that was the case as well. And in fact, he was pretty certain as well were other scientists. I mean, I think the, the big problem here is, is like we have lost a lack of trust in the bureaucracy in the quote unquote experts. Uh, when you tell me to follow the science, I'm not going to do it anymore blindly at all. I'm not following your mask science. You lied to us about masks and then you double masks and then you lied to Rand Paul about everything that you were doing. And then you lied about millions of dollars going to the Wuhan library. You can't, I feel like we can't trust anybody in the bureaucracy at this point. It has really been detrimental uh, the dishonesty that went on and the media's complicity complicity in that dishonesty. Literally, Facebook putting up a, put up an article about COVID. They warning warning. This is a, We've this got a, with COVID. Do you still want to post it? I mean, this is this is uh, it's outrageous what has happened. We've, got, we've got to pause. We've got to pause. One eight hundred seven two three eighty two nine nine. Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. Back on uh, Beyond the Beltway on uh, D-Day, June 6th. And, uh, you know, I know we, we have Memorial Day. We have Veterans Day where we remember all of our veterans. And I think uh, tonight may be a special night to remember all those men, and they were primarily men, uh, on D-Day who stormed the beaches uh, in 1944 on this date. And uh, maybe say a little prayer for them, their families, uh, because they, they not only— paid the ultimate price uh, in one of the most important battles in the history of this country. But you've also heard me say every uh, anniversary on this date to say that if, if you are ever going to, to France, you, you must spend a day uh, going to Normandy and walking that beach and, and observing the, uh, the, the, the cemetery, the national cemetery there. It is one of the most Did moving experiences Bruce? of your life. Charles, Did go ahead. 
Bruce, did you ever talk to anybody or anybody else on the panel? Any, anybody who actually uh, stormed the beaches that day? Because I have not. I, I had a, a, a brother-in-law who is now deceased uh, who was involved in, in D-Day. He didn't want to talk about it. I don't think he was in the first wave. But again, I did speak to someone uh, who was there. But it, it's it's an experience. It's amazing I, what I, I have did. said. Mm-hmm. I, I have said that every, every American should go to D-Day. I mean, it would, it would be great to have that as a regular high school a trip, uh, because I think everybody should see it and understand exactly uh, what what transpired there. Let's go to Don, who's listening to us in Texas. Go ahead, Don. Oh yes, sir. <clears throat> I was. Uh, I've got a uh, magazine that I used to subscribe to called uh, it was the Smithsonian. Yes, and, and they had an article in uh, 2017 uh, November issue, and the cover said "Pandemic Coming Soon." And it had a big, large uh, article in the in it, and it showed a lot of Europeans working there, and it gave information that you know what prize they win for unearthing different. Uh, one of them had mm-hmm. uh, dug up the uh, 1918 uh, virus Pandemic, and got it yep. out of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it looked funny that they would have uh, all this information. Uh, uh, long before the and stating that it uh, we had to get ready, there was going to be a, a pandemic. Mm-hmm. And I, think I thought people that, knew might... that there was. I think people knew that uh, we were so connected and interdependent <laughs> that things could spread very quickly. But I think people also knew that there was something I didn't know about called gain of function research. And gain of function means that you take a naturally occurring virus or pathogen and you make it both easier to spread and more lethal. And we have the tools to do that now. And you can imagine um, if you are the United States, you would want to have that not as an offensive weapon. You wouldn't want to use it you would want to know what was going on so you could figure out if there were any anecdotes. Uh, but the idea that we would be sending money to a lab in China with a military connections where we did not have the right to go in and inspect it completely or at any time, should, it's just ludicrous. Okay. Should, should now that we are learning more each day about, what we knew and when we knew it genie should should the trump should the trump administration have been more aggressive in following through in an investigatory investigatory way at least following the rhetoric of the president because the president was suggesting hey the wuhan you know the the, the kung fu china there was so such a hang-up as to what what use what word he was using uh, that maybe he wasn't pushing it because he also kept saying that President Xi was one of his best friends, best buddies. Yeah. I mean, he played yeah. down the fact that, that China was not cooperating with this investigation. Was that a mistake? Uh, uh, yeah, listen, I think there were a lot of mistakes made in that respect. And it, it did always bother me when Trump would praise China and then on the back end know that, you know, they're imprisoning the Uyghurs and, um, 
and then with the whole COVID nonsense too, I mean, you can't play it both ways. You got to play it straight with the American people. That's what they expect. And I think he sent mixed signals. And I think now looking back and, and I never trusted Fauci from the get go. I mean, I can, I kind of have that BS factor in me. Like I can tell about people. Um, and I felt like I was being BS on the whole COVID stuff. Um, but uh, I think if you're going to have an investigation, it needs to be around China, China's role, roles, bioweapons. Uh, have they violated any Geneva Convention treaties that they're signatories to? Uh, what is going on? I mean, we went into Iraq because of bioweapons, right? And now we've got this whole explosive situation with China and what they're doing. And yet we have 360,000 Chinese students getting educated at our universities. Uh, I mean, what are we doing? Uh, it makes me wonder, and I, I think we need to get to the bottom of this. Bruce, Alexander, I, Alexander, I want to ask you, how t this is the same question I asked sort of about Russia. How tough can we get on China? And, and do you agree that an aggressive investigation of what happened, uh, maybe that's one of the most important investigations that we have. Maybe this is an investigation that's far more important than, uh, than what happened on January 6th. I need a 30 second answer. Our relationship with China is very challenging. Uh, there does need to be, um, you know, pressure put on. I, it's hard for me to say that I've ever agreed with Trump, but I really did feel that there needed to be investigation sooner. Um, and he did, he said some weird things, like it wasn't the bats, it wasn't this. He was questioning things. And I think that we should have looked into things more. I think an investigation now is not going to be as helpful as an investigation then. But I think mm -hmm. what is very true is the pandemic is real and we need to see this recovery. I'm grateful that things are opening up and I'm looking forward to this next phase of our We've lives. We've got to say farewell to you. That was Alexandra Eidenberg. Jeannie Ives has joined us. Charles Lipson has joined us. Uh, Brent Hamachek has joined me in studio. Our thanks to Nancy Cadigan and also Kevin Lamb for the uh, production of the tonight's program. Uh, Kevin Lane, forgive me for that. I'm Bruce Dumont. See you next week.